Super Talk Mississippi media production. Come see your locally owned and operated Linton Glass for all your glass needs. No matter what glass you need to replace, you can count on Linton Glass. Call us today at 601-835-4336 or find us on the web at lintonglass.com. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert and today i am on the road once again at the mississippi armed forces museum in the heart of camp shelby just south of the hub city of hattiesburg we're here because veterans day is tomorrow rhino safe and sound back in the super talk Headquarters Studios will be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. Maybe the longest week of my career in hosting the middays. Uh, it's been a busy but a fun week. It started out uh, Monday for me, Monday evening, when we celebrated dual birthdays for my uh, my wife last week. Uh, actually my wife was Sunday, my daughter last week on November the 1st. So we kind of combined those into a little birthday dinner celebration. And then of course, you know, we had Tuesday, we had some elections across the Magnolia state and, uh, that, uh, just required lots of, uh, lots of attention <laughs> at a minimum made the rounds at the watch parties and ended the evening around midnight 30 or so. And then uh, full day, Wednesday, um, it was a busy day, of course. The day after the election, as you can imagine, was a privilege also to speak uh, on Wednesday evening to the Madison County Executive Leadership, a graduate fine group of young executive leaders in Madison County that, uh, honestly, I'm excited about. Uh, the future of my county, my state, my country, just in having the opportunity to interact with some of those fine folks that are leading various businesses and and uh, also some in the public sector as well. That was a lot of fun. And then last night I was uh, honored to serve as a celebrity judge at the 43rd annual Squat and Gobble, which uh, raises money to benefit those who have experienced domestic abuse or human trafficking. The scourge is uh, unfortunately something that occurs in our state. You know, we've had lots of folks on the program talking about that. Speaker of the House Philip Gunn, passionate about that issue, was uh, one of the keynote speakers. And, Rhino, I judge the old squatting and goblin had, uh, I think, four contestants in the gobble category. And then we had about a, uh, a dozen or so. In the squat 
a.k.a. dance category, and that was a bunch of fun. Uh, one of the competitors in the gobbling competition, I think was a professional gobbler, if there is such a thing. He did really well. So we, we awarded three places, and he took home the trophy for first place. But uh, a great cause and a great event, raised some money. I'm not sure, but I think my wife bought something or two at the silent auction. I usually just see that on the credit card bill later on. <laughs> <laughs> you know how that works. But, no, we're, we're happy to uh, to make a donation in that form. Had some cool stuff they were auctioning off. But that's an annual event held at the Country Club of Jackson, an old high school friend that uh, oversees that. Did a great job, as usual. So, Veterans Day tomorrow across uh, the nation. And something that occurred uh, just yesterday, Frank Borman, commander of the first Apollo mission to the moon, he died at the age of 95. He commanded Apollo 8's historic Christmas mission. That was 1968. It circled the moon 10 times. And you remember the kind of the strategy uh, employed by NASA was, uh, sort sort of building up to eventually landing on the moon's surface. And I think this was the last mission, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Rhino, that that uh, occurred just before the actual landing on the moon. Uh, if not, it was it was certainly close to that. And, and they circled the moon just to, I guess, just to prove we can actually fly to the moon. We can circle it. We can. Uh, establish and maintain communications with mission control, and that was pivotal in uh, in the overall goal of landing on the moon. Three days traveling to the moon, and then it maneuvered a bit on Christmas Eve, as I recalled. I think they circled it ten times on Christmas Eve, the 24th and 25th, and then headed on home on the 27th that was interesting they read from the book of genesis i remember this so so vividly when i was a child in a live telecast from the orbiter quote in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep interesting and then when they signed off the broadcast Mr. Borman, astronaut Borman, closed it with these words. Good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. Does this not at least make you think a little bit, Rhino, that if you did that today, there are secular people in this country that would excoriate and and be all up in arms. Oh, my gosh, this is... This is uh, church and state conflict and all that kind of stuff oh yeah it, it that's sad isn't it because this was just it was just a, a message of of hope of goodness and just a and one free citizen using their freedoms of religion and expression to express their personal beliefs yeah absolutely incredible in his autobiography Mr. Borman said that Apollo 8 was originally supposed to orbit Earth, but because Apollo 7 did so well in October of 68, 
that uh, that the systems proved to be quite reliable and durable that NASA said, okay, I think it's time to go ahead and fly up to the moon and circle the moon. Well, you've got to remember the the reason behind their caution. Not only were they doing something that had never been done and utilizing knowledge and math and physics that had never really been attempted to to express in reality. It had always been kind of theoretical. But you also had the Apollo 1 disaster yeah. where the, the crew was lost in a fire, and at least a portion of the blame for that was put on maybe cutting a couple corners here or there or not dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's to get in a rush to get this done. So they took a step back and really looked at their processes, looked at their safety, looked and and overhauled the entire program and put the safety of the astronauts at the forefront. That's why they they took such a protracted approach to to getting things done. Makes total sense. Um, and and you know also which which the the abundance of caution makes total sense. But remember, John F. Kennedy in his uh, inauguration speech, he declared that. He wanted the nation to land a person on the moon before the end of the decade, as I recall, was the language he used in that speech. And also the country was felt like it was in a race with the Russians to be the first. And, and there, there was a, a, a bit of a competition there. Uh, fascinating. Apollo 9, I think, and Apollo 10, that was between the, the Apollo 8 mission of astronaut Frank Borman. They also, I believe, orbited the moon, just kind of making sure everything was good to to go before it was, uh, before we finally landed on the moon in Apollo 11, July 20th, 1969, first time humans walked on the moon. So uh, kind of a compressed period, if you think about it, between orbiting and and this mission at eight and then uh, ultimately landing and a human walking the surface of the moon. But astronaut Frank Borman, dead at uh, the age of 95, man. He lived a, a uh, certainly a productive uh, life for sure. He was uh, also, I remember this, Rhino, he was at one time the CEO of Eastern Airlines in the 1970s and 1980s. And Eastern always struggled financially, always struggled, but... He, uh, he was a patriot and a fine American, and we bid him farewell, and we thank him for all his service to our great nation. We're down at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum in the heart of Camp Shelby, just south of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Folks, if you haven't been to this facility, you got to tour it. You absolutely will not believe it. It is world class, I promise. And you, you uh, will take in... Mississippi's rich history in serving uh, the country. So many fine Mississippians that served in the nation's uniform and all the branches of service, and it, it really chronicles our history there. We're stepping aside for a break. When we come back, it's Tommy Lofton, the director of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. Stay with us. Let's do this. 
The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. Super Talk Mississippi. In a traffic jam. We are at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. Uh, just a bit of a follow-up on the last segment. Frank Borman was a colonel in the United States Air Force. I forgot to mention that. I mainly brought him up, his death, which occurred a couple of days ago. An astronaut, uh, instrumental in uh, a pivotal member of the NASA program, the Apollo program, that ultimately allowed, uh, enabled the United States to land on the moon and the first human to walk on the moon. But Mr. Borman uh, passed away November 7th at the age of 95. He was also an aeronautical engineer, we should point out. But uh, we salute him for his service to our great country and uh, certainly... He um, it is and was a patriot. Well, we welcome to the program now Tommy Lofton, the director of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. Tommy, good to see you again. Always good to see you. Glad to uh, have you in here today. You know, I've toured the museum uh, a few times. Every time I come down, I walk through. And each time, i got to tell you, just looking at some of those exhibits, I get chill bumps. Uh, how can you not? How can you not feel some degree of, of just respect and, and reverence? Uh, for those who wore the uniform, and to know that Mississippi played such a critical role in, in all of our wars and conflicts. Oh, for uh, sure. Through, you know, through it, our history, and, and you've captured that here exquisitely. It's something that, as a state, we should be very proud of and continue to be proud of in the future. You know, I, I think uh, it's easy for a lot of folks in the state and outside of the state to say, you know, we're always first on the worst list and last on the best, which I don't necessarily believe either but i think we're up there in the top for sure with military and military service and patriotism because no it's it's very evident and of course this is just what we have room to show and, yeah. and for right now um as you go through our exhibits you know you do get a sense that man mississippi really has even before we were a state we were involved uh in every major war that this country has ever had or, or conflict uh we have a lot to be proud of no doubt. Mississippians answer the call. There's no doubt about that. And and uh, Mississippians have deep respect for those who wore the uniform. That's exactly right. And uh, so let's talk about Veterans Day. What you got planned? So we're, uh, you know, in some sense, every day is Veterans Day here at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. Sure. Uh, there's so many different events and other things. We don't have a full-fledged ceremony uh, because it would be competing with anything and everything else locally. But we do have, uh, we'll be open this weekend, the entire weekend, if you're, Looking for you know, a reason to kind of get back in touch with your patriotic side or your patriotism, or if you're a veteran who's you know interested in maybe finally talking to your family about some of your own experiences and your own service, bring them here. Uh, come through the museum. We'll be open uh, all day today and and all day Saturday from nine to four, and we're free. It's hard to beat a free museum. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, but we're hoping that that folks will feel compelled to come through this weekend and and really take in our uh, veteran culture and really appre- you know learn to better appreciate what it is that we have and how we can better celebrate the freedoms we have. You know, we just voted a few days ago. Yeah. 
that's something that I think we so easily take for granted. No matter what party you're in or whether you, you know, you're individual one or not in this most recent election that you were hoping would win, uh, that, that shouldn't matter, especially yeah. tomorrow. You know, if you're coming through here, um, you know, take some time to realize that we can have differences of opinions, and the whole reason that we even have arguments and debates is that we have the freedom to do so, unlike so many other countries. And so uh, I think this is a great atmosphere for people, and especially young people, to truly understand, you know, that, that freedom isn't free and that everybody who wears the uniform in some way sacrifices. Yeah. There's some who sacrifice with their lives, for sure, and, of course, we also honor them uh, and, and honor them on Memorial Day. But uh, there's a lot of people, even right now, we've got people deployed who are away from their families, uh, missing birthday parties. Some of them are going to miss Thanksgiving and miss Christmas with their families here. Uh, but that's part of it. That's part of the reason that they've uh, chosen to serve. They know that when they're going into it, and, and we should do everything that we can to honor those individuals and the folks who have gone before them and given away many Christmases and many birthday parties and graduations and other things, too. You know, it's... Uh, Kind of hard around this time of year for me to feel like I can complain about too much. Yeah. Because, you know, Veterans Day, I think about all these veterans who've done everything from know, landing on Omaha Beach and, and surviving that to uh, fighting in the Vietnam War, Desert Storm, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, and other things. And, you know, I've had it pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we should point out that uh, many of those uh, active members are in harm's way, even That's though right. we're not involved in a major war. And, and a some a follow-up I wanted to do on on your uh, comment about young folks and, mm-hmm. and how I think it's important for them to to uh, tour the museum and, and learn from it and it's uh, it's many fantastic exhibits and just the information is that fortunately we've had peace for a long time That's so true. so these wars that are chronicled here that that are featured in the exhibits mm-hmm. all occurred before many of them were born. That's true. I mean, we, uh, most of the school groups that we see come through here now have no direct memory of even 9-11. Yeah. You know, something that I know you remember where you were that day. Yeah. I remember yeah. when we saw the, the footage. They have no concept. What was actually kind of funny, we had an elementary school group here recently, and one of the uh, chaperones is a veteran, and he was coming through, and his daughter looks up and says, <laughs> Dad, you were in Iraq. <laughs> Isn't that right? And he said, yeah, yeah, baby, I was, I was in Iraq. And she goes, wow, you're old. Y'all are in a museum, you know. It was kind of a funny conversation. And, and of course, he, you know, I think that's, he, that's awesome. he just sort of smiled and nodded his head. I mean, what else do you say? But, but uh, you know, she was a, a, a third grader, if I remember yeah. correctly, and maybe a fifth grader. I believe she was a third grader. And, it, you know, at least that sort of started to resonate and open up questions. Even standing right there on the other side of this wall, uh, I guess for the first time it probably clicked yeah. that this is something important. And so, you know, for us, uh, it's easy to also think that, you know, well, young people don't care about this or care about the country or the military or whatever. It's very far from the truth. You right. start, we're seeing more and more young people, school kids come through, teachers come through. Um, our Public outreach and attendance records are almost double what they were even before COVID, Good. Good. Uh, which has been great. And, and it's encouraging to see so many more young people getting involved or engaged, uh, you know, even on social media and other things, too. So, yeah. so uh, no, we're, we're, we're here. We're hopeful that people will come and will learn and know that they uh, do have access to the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. Even though it's here at Camp Shelby, we're open to the public. 
Uh, again, 9 to 4, Tuesday through Saturday. Stop at the Visitor Center outside of Southgate, have your ID scan, and come right on post and come see the museum. Yeah, pretty uh, absolutely. Encourage everyone to do it. Uh, they will not be disappointed, I can assure you. Uh, you know, I, all the exhibits are fantastic, and, uh, and and there's such a rich history that Mississippi has for sure. But the one I think that, that gets me the most is the scene so well done featuring the Huey yeah. uh, from uh, Vietnam. Because yeah. I remember that growing up. Uh, you know, the first time really you had uh, scenes from war being broadcast on, on television every night, right. on the nightly news. And, I mean, the Huey kind of symbolizes Vietnam, if you think about it. But that scene is so well done and yeah. I think so perfectly depicts what it would look like in a an LZ when you're when you're the Hueys are coming in and right. trying to pick up the wounded right. and their buddies are helping them get on the on the Huey right. and, and take them away on the cot and hopefully so they can go behind the lines and get some medical care and treatment. Mm-hmm. But it's so well done and I, I shot our video uh, this morning oh, pr- promoting uh, that we're here broadcasting the show. But that one, I just said, gosh, I just remember seeing that just like that. And in the history books, on right. television, on, on video, uh, I, I don't know that a lot of folks know. We actually have a helicopter inside the museum like <laughs> right. that. And one outside. Exactly. On um, outside. You know, that's it's such an iconic uh, aircraft, yeah. uh, like you say, especially for the Vietnam War. And it's interesting to me now, too, you know, I spent many, several decades working with World War II veterans. Yeah. Sadly, most of them are gone now. Right. We've got out of 16 million men and women that serve, we've probably got 100 to 125,000 left in the country, yeah. maybe, from yeah. World War II. What's interesting now is to see Vietnam veterans sort of step up and finally start opening up about their experiences, uh, good and bad. Yeah. About serving in that time period, about serving in Vietnam, about coming home from Vietnam. Yeah. And it's interesting to see more and more Vietnam veterans come through or come through with their families. And when they clear that door frame and see that Huey, it's pretty powerful. Got, you can gotta see be. them kind of take a step back. It's got to be. Um, but it's it also provides an interesting conversation piece, I find, a lot for Vietnam veterans to finally open up. Like, yes, I traveled on one of these. Yes, I served during these, you know, to their grandkids and that kind of stuff. And it's pretty pretty powerful. We're encouraging more and more veterans, no matter if you've been at war or not, come through here. Tell your story. Share your story with your friends, your family. Be proud of your service, too. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and God bless you for doing it. We have a volunteer military, and we should be doing everything we can to honor those in uniform now and those who uh, have been wearing the uniform in the past. No doubt about it. Tommy, appreciate you coming on, yes, and thanks for having us here today. Once again, we're at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum, folks. you got to see it. Come on down and see us. We're right inside the doors. If you're in the area, we strongly encourage you to do so. Veterans Day tomorrow. Thank a vet, folks, for all they do. Appreciate it, Tom. Sure. Thank you, George. We're stepping aside for a break, folks. We're coming right back. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our shop on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are live from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. 
On Camp Shelby, we welcome to the program now Colonel Mark Prine, retired, special project and president of the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum Board. Colonel, always good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Welcome. We're glad to have you all today. Well, we're glad to be here. The uh, the museum, uh, you know, every time I see it, it seems like I see something new. And uh, once again, I'm just reminded of uh, what an exquisite uh, facility this is and, and, and what a great job it does of capturing Mississippi's storied history uh, in the armed forces. It's incredible. It, uh, it is, and it's uh, like to say sometimes it's kind of a hidden gem, uh, but we're trying to get the word out to make sure that people are understanding because there's so many people who go to visit New Orleans, who go to the Gulf Coast, who go to Mobile or Pensacola, going to the beach, and we're right here at the intersection where all those highways run together. So why not stop, take a couple of hours, and uh, spend some time learning about the great Mississippians who have made such contributions to our nation. And that's a distinction, isn't it, Colonel, that, that, that we're focused on Mississippians uh, yeah. featured in the museum? It is, and we've kind of... Uh, Always had a lot of Mississippians that we featured, but at now as we're working on and gathering more information, we're working on an exhibit com- coming up that talks about Mississippians who have made contributions after their service, before their service. Oh. And the list, we're at a couple of hundred people now, and I'm looking at names kind of going, I've never heard of this person before, but come to find out that you're just phenomenal careers after their service or before their service in the military. Yeah, no doubt. What about families? whose uh, loved ones, whose family members are, are featured or curated in the museum. Have you ever talked to them about their experience when they come through and see their family members featured? I certainly have, and and had an opportunity to work with a lot of families who are uh, donating artifacts or yeah. would like to do something with their, with their loved ones' artifacts. Because you got to remember, for a lot of the Mississippians who paid the ultimate sacrifice, they were very young, so there's not a spouse, there's not a children. Yeah. If that happened in World War One or World War Two or even Vietnam, their their parents are have passed away now. And it's great nieces and nephews that are showing up with a box and said, "Hey, can you help us figure this out?" Yeah, and it, it's so nice talking to them. Uh, had the chance to visit uh, in George County here recently uh, with the family of uh, Geraldine Horn. Uh, Tech Sergeant Horn served in World War II as a whack overseas, and her family is uh, going through her artifacts now, and we're working with that. She's probably one of the more highly decorated women from World War II. I'm she received not. the Bronze Star from General Mark Clark for her service uh, in hmm. Italy. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. And, and I know that uh, I've been before uh, doing the show on Memorial Day when we've had uh, Gold Star parents, yes, uh, loved ones as well, and that's that's always emotional and, frankly, uh, can be a bit of a difficult interview uh, for me to get through. Uh, you're so moved uh, by their experience and, their, and, honestly, their bravery, but it's it's so good that uh, we recognize them here. It event. is. It is. And, you know, t- and talking with family members, you know, I read their stories, and in their, my, their mind, my mind, they are sergeant somebody or colonel or lieutenant somebody. And you're talking to their family members, and they refer to them as mom or dad yeah. or, you know, yeah. aunt so-and-so or, you know, and it's just it's phenomenal to be able to connect at that level and keep those memories alive. Incredible. Um, so in addition to adding new exhibits, are, are there some cases, uh, Colonel, where we're uh, just improving or enhancing existing exhibits? We get new information, new artifacts? We do. Uh, 
we have been on uh, the summer has been a lot of artifact discovery uh, here over the past uh, few months. And we're enhancing because we're able to find more artifacts that help tell the story. We're able to find more information that tells the story. I was mentioning to Alex earlier, you know, as you talk about the global war on terror, so much of that is captured on videotape. Yeah. And you're able to present that on the screen so that when you're talking about Fallujah or whatever, there's news footage coverage that you're able to present. Yeah. And so it, technology has helped change the way we present that quite a bit. And plus, like I tell Tommy, people show up at the front desk with a box and say, here, help. Mm. And so we're able to find artifacts that help enhance, tell us those stories. Yeah. Well, as it relates to that, is the museum or the curators, are they proactive in, in trying to research and approach people that may, be, may, may have these artifacts in their possession and they know the history of, of folks that they've researched? Or is it reactive or combination? A combination of both, but we've gotten some really proactive because you'll have people who come through the museum and say, hey, do you know the story of, and they'll t- mention something, and so we'll start doing a little bit of yeah. digging. Had that happen this morning at, a, at when I was speaking in Columbia. Somebody came up and said, you need to check out this guy, his story from okay. World War one and so we'll start doing that uh we we have an artifact that we're working with right now that we had found a picture of in a book and we started doing some digging to try and find out where it was if it still existed it did yeah and uh have been able to work with uh with the uh people who had it to allow us to be able to after some restoration work just display here veterans day of course uh tomorrow and uh question i have for you is 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 this kind of unique to this country that we we carve out a day where we recognize and we celebrate and we uh, express gratitude to our veterans? I don't recall ever seeing any such celebrations or events associated with veterans commemorating veterans in any other nations. Is that kind of a unique American thing? I, I, it's unique in America. I've seen the the British do this also. Okay. Uh, they call it Remembrance Day. Makes and sense. So, yeah. yeah. So we've had had a. When I was in Afghanistan, had a chance to attend a uh, a Remembrance Day ceremony uh, out okay. at Camp Bastion, where the British were set up uh, in Western Afghanistan. Yeah. Kind of interesting. I got to meet a young man by the name of uh, Harry Windsor at the time. Good. Was there? Was in country, and now he's living here in the states hmm. uh, with his wife. So, but uh, it was. Uh, I think it's kind of a, an interesting concept that we do commemorate those people who have made. Uh, such a sacrifice of their lives and their career, you know, just put their lives on hold to serve their nation. Yeah. How important is that, uh, Colonel, as a veteran and, and to the, the, the many um, our members of our armed forces uh, that are veterans that you interact with? How important is that, that our country recognizes them? I, I think it's very important, and it's, it's uh, important to the veterans themselves because, uh, you know, whether their service ended – a week ago or whether it entered decades ago, you know, just for somebody to reach out and say thank you for your service and thank you for, for what you've done for our nation. I, I think it's also very important to, as I think about Veterans Day, as I think about families that have supported those veterans over the years, because those families sacrifice yeah. for the veterans to be able to do what they do. I mean, it's, it's not many careers where you come home and go, oh, by the way, honey, I'm going to be gone for 14, 16, 18 months. Just kind of keep it going while I'm gone kind yeah. of thing. You know, and it's so important to remember those family members as well who have who have sacrificed so those veterans can serve. Definitely. And, and we should also point out that uh, in, in this country, uh, civilians essentially dictate the military. Yes, uh, military and, and these veterans. You you may or, or may or may uh, not uh, agree 
with uh, the cause that they were fighting for and, and their service and whatever that happened to be, especially those that were involved in wars and conflicts. But they're just doing a job they're told to do. Yeah, exactly. You find out from somebody way up the chain that makes a decision that's going to affect your life, but you know you do what they ask you to do because that's what you signed up for. You got to remember we weren't drafted into this. Yeah. Our veterans have all volunteered for this. I mean, yeah. in the past, think about the global war on terror. As long as it was, those were all volunteers. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, when's the last time we had a draft? Did we end that in the late sixties, early seventies? It seems like so about the time Vietnam was in. Yeah, that's what I said. Seventy-two yeah. essentially yeah. when when that ended. Uh, and since then, we haven't. Right. How, how's that looking? You know, we, we see so many reports uh, about just shortfalls and in, in, uh, hitting the recruiting targets. Mm-hmm. How are we looking there? Uh, my understanding is that they're still out there recruiting aggressively. There's some uh, specialty areas that are really uh, in need of right now. So the recruiters are actively out there looking for young men and women who would like to serve their nation. It, and uh, let's talk about Camp Shelby in the little time we got left. This is a pretty critical part. Uh, of our overall military ecosystem. It is. It is. Uh, we used to be, for the longest time, were, you know, May through August kind of place of where people came to train for the summer National Guard. When we went to the Joint National Training Capacity designation several years ago, uh, we're now, I think last year was 360 out of 365 days, we had people here training on the ground. Wow. And, uh, Major exercises because it's not just the National Guard that trains here. It's every branch of service. An awful lot of agencies from federal and state government train here as well because of as much space as we have, not only on the ground, but the airspace above us, too. So uh, it becomes quite a demand. It's amazing when you think about it. The, the people uh, from, honestly, all over the world that have been right here on Camp Shelby. Yeah. i tell you, the, one of the funniest stories I heard this summer was uh, we have a USO here. And uh, we had some people from not a foreign country, technically, but Massachusetts. Uh, yeah. And uh, we had uh, some of our local volunteers trying to teach them how to eat a boiled peanut. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it makes for interesting. So so we uh, we sort of integrate them into Mississippi uh, culture. <laughs> they, get, they, get, they get the heat, they get the mosquitoes, and they get boiled peanuts. That's awesome. Colonel, always good to see you, sir, and, uh, and appreciate uh, you for your service and your work here with the Armed Forces Museum. I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more. And we appreciate you having Super Talk here today as well. Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you so much. Yep. We're coming right back, folks, with more. We're in the Element Wells studio at uh, Mississippi Armed Forces Museum on Camp Shelby. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. back everyone it's middays we are live in the element wealth studio down at the mississippi armed forces museum at camp shelby all right rhino you see in the video i got some visitors on the on the desk here 
I don't know if you shrank or if they got bigger. <laughs> These are some, like, really big uh, uh, play army men here. It's, like, See? bigger than the original G.I. Joe, but they exactly. are stylized <laughs> like the little green army men that came in the pack of 50 for a buck. <laughs> Uh, and let's see, the, the label on it here says Epic Army. Man, it is epic. The colonel just told me that we've got uh, other figures that are in other positions. Let's see, this one here, uh, it looks like it's got uh, a, either a rocket launcher or a, a bazooka uh, on the shoulder, a weapon that, of course, you rest on the shoulder and fire. I think that and would be a bazooka. The, uh, okay. Uh, it. It looks like a little more modern bazooka than I remember when I had these little guys. But the other one is uh, an MP and has got um, looks like an M16 on the shoulder and is in a, a saluting uh, configuration here. Pretty cool. But I can t- see the MP looks like a sergeant. And in the MP band, you know, on the arm that, that oh, yeah. uh, is the insignia for that. So epic army. Uh, men here are epic army man is the is the label here yeah army man they have joined us here in the element well studio i always liked the grenade guy and the radio man <laughs> exactly and you know the radio guys certainly from the the world war ii era those those backpacks were gigantic to carry around those those big old radios and about like a 25 foot antenna <laughs> whip antenna on the back of it to make it work so uh but we're here at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum, come on by and see us. And more importantly, folks, you got to tour this museum and, and really take in the rich history of Mississippi's participation in uh, the armed forces. On the ceasefire text line today, Ben from Madison uh, read the article that I drafted on PERS. Appreciate that, Ben. He says, excellent article, Gerard. You have an ability to make something that is very complicated much simpler to understand. Appreciate that. Uh, ben, and, and hope you enjoyed it. I have uh, distributed it pretty widely uh, across my my orbit, including members of our legislature that uh, have provided some feedback. I think everybody knows we got to do something. It's just a matter of what we do. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a task force commission to to really dig into the issue and, and uh, deal with experts collect input, and then provide some recommendations to our legislature to take some action on this issue. Yesterday, I I didn't get a chance to to get to this, but we did get a text toward the end of the show and unfortunately didn't get to it. But it it was a question from someone that said, and I'll read it here, is there any way to transition new employees to a 401K type of plan instead of a pension? And, and yeah, that's, that's one of the things that's being proposed for new employees, not necessarily uh, a defined contribution plan, which is what a 401K plan is, but create a new tier, if you will, that would just have a totally different benefit structure and uh, likely a different contribution structure as well. Uh, to, to make it a little bit more economically viable. But the problem is that doesn't take care of the current problem. That addresses the issue, say, 50, 60, 70 years from now. It doesn't address the current issue or the, ne- or the issue for the next 35, 40 years. And, and that's um, it's something to be considered. The other thing to keep in mind is that the pension to public sector workers, the defined benefit pension, which means you get benefits for life, that that is something that differentiates working in the public sector from the private sector. You you will have a hard time finding 
any remaining defined benefit plans and any any private sector entities. So that's a differentiator. It's a, it's a competitive advantage. If the state converted the pension plan, and by the way, we'd be the first state should we do that. There is really no serious talk in any of the other states about converting their programs to define uh, contribution plans. If we if we did that, we would likely have to increase the base compensation, essentially to offset the loss of that benefit, because that is in fact not only is is it is it something that draws and appeals to folks. Uh, when they're thinking about, do I want to work in the public sector or the private sector? But it it has a tendency to retain employees because they know that if they exit employment in the public sector and they're not vested, that they they would get their contributions back, but they're they're losing out on that benefit. They know if they just hang in there, keep contributing, and they're working towards that that uh, full vesting period of of service that they got a big benefit waiting for them so it 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 tends to be a a really nice retention tool in that respect so there's just a lot of dynamics a lot of figures that uh, have to be thought about it's time for a break here on middays we're coming back after fox news and super talk news that's coming your way because it's the top of the hour in the next hour at 11.20, we've got Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News. We'll recap the week in news across the Magnolia State. There's a bunch of it. Also, I'm going to dig into where the Republican and, and the Democrat presidential candidates stand on tax policy. That should be interesting. Coming right back, folks. Stay with us. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We're live at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum in the heart of Camp Shelby, just south of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, on this Friday, y'all. What the heck was that that was coming down on my windshield this morning driving down here, Rhino? Oh, that mysterious moisture falling from the heavens. <laughs> Uh, much uh, needed and very grateful for it. A uh, little precipitation, uh, certainly. I, I saw somebody on social media said it's been 127 days in the Jackson area since we've had rain. I thought we had one or two in there, a little. little there might have been isolated right? patches that didn't get any for that long. But, but okay. I mean, okay. I haven't had very much rain at my place, but it hasn't been that long since the last rain fell. Well, there's no doubt it has been dry. I mean, it's been drought conditions uh, in, unusually, and it was awfully hot, as I recall, from the end of July through September for the most part. And even in October and November, I know you've been wearing your shorts, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Well, but I put on the, the long pants today. It's kind of funny. I had shorts all week, and then on Friday, which is usually like a casual day at offices, <laughs> right. I'm wearing khakis. 
<laughs> All right. We got uh, Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. We're going to do a rundown of the elections and talk about some of the other news from across the Magnolia State in the next segment. Lieutenant Colonel John Stringer, director of the Youth Challenge Academy, will follow. And then we've got the Adjutant General of the Mississippi National Guard, Jansen Boyles, kicking off Hour three of the program, we'll wrap it up with Mark Smith, Executive Director of Mississippi Veterans Affairs. That's because it is Veterans Day tomorrow. Jerry in Pontotoc writes, I'm at a Veterans Day program in Pontotoc. My daddy served in Korea. I'm so proud to be the son of an American soldier. We appreciate his service, Jerry. Let's see here. Darren in Jackson reports, I am a U.S. Navy submarine veteran. My grandfather was at Omaha Beach. Second wave. My other grandfather served and was wounded in France. I proudly served and would do it all over again. Appreciate your service and that of your uh, your father or your grandfather's, I should say. We appreciate that, Darren. Thank you. Ken in West Point says Frank Borman. We talked about him in the last hour. He passed away on November the 7th, just a couple of days ago. He, of course, was an astronaut. Uh, a colonel in the U.S. Air Force. He was involved in Apollo 8, which uh, was a pivotal mission that ultimately led to this country being the first to land a person on the moon. Says that his testimony before Congress after the Apollo 1 disaster is what set the Apollo program from being eliminated. I appreciate you sharing that, Ken. I was not aware. I did remember him testifying, but uh, I didn't realize that much of what he shared in his testimony factored into that decision. I sure am glad that the that the country continued the program uh, and that uh, America was the first to land a human on the moon's surface, planted the American flag. Who can forget that? Rhino, you're not among these folks that believe that that's a big hoax, are you, that it was all done in a, in a theater? Are you, are you in there? No. <laughs> Your tinfoil hat's not quite that big, huh? Not that pointy. Not even close. <laughs> April 13th was the last time we had one inch of rain in a 24-hour period, states Chris in Jackson. Okay. That sounds about right. JB from Ackerman says 127 days since Jackson received at least one inch of rain. But we do got uh, some showers moving through the area. I haven't checked it lately, but uh, it looks like that most of the central and southern part of the state, which received some rain earlier, most of that rain appears to have dissipated. Looks like a little bit more hovering over the river around the Natchez area and moving into the state. Tomorrow, big game between uh, the University of Mississippi Ole Miss Rebels traveling to Athens, Georgia, will take on the top-ranked ranked a Georgia Bulldogs. Are they one or two now? I know they depends on the poll, but they'll take them on between the hedges. That is an affair scheduled for the evening, either 6 or 6.30. Can't remember the exact time. Uh, it's expected to be a little wet and chilly and breezy, latest report I saw for the game. I'm not sure who would benefit in such uh, in those conditions. I don't know. That that would be for some of those who just opine on that kind of stuff. Tim from Tubelo says, My dad served. U.S. Marine in Korea awarded the Purple Heart. 
ran a successful business for almost 50 years, passed away in 2018. Miss him dearly every day. Thank you for sharing that, Tim. And uh, we deeply respect his service to our nation as well in Korea and the Purple Heart in particular. Thanks for that. We did have so, some Magnolia State football last night. Yeah, tell us about that. The University of Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles. Yeah, they managed to eke out another win, making them 3-7 and seven on the season, and they managed to beat the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns 34-31 to 31 in overtime. Yeah, congratulations uh, to the Golden Eagles. We're down here in Golden Eagle land, of course, today. So congratulations to them. Uh, they desperately needed that victory, and I'm, I'm uh, pleased they got it. On the political front, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, he says he ain't running. In 2024, he's out. I think he's reading the tea leaves. He's getting trounced in the polls by former Governor Jim Justice. I think Donald Trump calls him the big guy. He is a rather rather large human, Jim Justice. And Donald Trump, of course, taking full credit for it. He says that's the reason Joe's getting out, because he has endorsed um, his opponent, Jim Justice. I don't know if that's the case, honestly, because... Senator Joe Manchin has been trailing justice ever since he announced that he was going to run for the Senate seat. So likely uh, that seat will flip to Republican. However, keep in mind, Joe Manchin, he didn't really just vote down the line with Democrats. In fact, it's because of him that much of the Green New Deal and tax and economic agenda that was proposed by President Joe Biden and the Democrats failed. They couldn't get him to get on board with ending the filibuster required to pass some of this legislation. Speaking of ending the filibuster, the candidates in sharing their positions on abortion, talking about the Republican candidates during the debate from Miami on Wednesday, it's largely thought that Nikki Haley made the most sense on that issue. She said, oh, look, I'm pro-life, um, and I, but I don't want uh, the pro-choice people to be so vitriolic towards the pro-life and vice versa, that we have our, our different opinions on this. It's dividing the nation in many respects, but it has reached a point of hostility and vitriol. I think she's right on that. She said, look, we got to be practical about this from a federal perspective, and that's important because she's running for federal office, president. And, and what she indicated in terms of being practical is that we're not going to get 60 votes in the Senate to, to pass any federal legislation concerning abortion. She's totally right on that. I 100% agree with her on that. So, even talking about it, other than just sharing your personal philosophy and your your personal stance on the matter, but you're not going to really get anything done serious with respect to abortion at the federal level as long as you don't get 60 votes in the Senate or unless you're able to overturn the filibuster and remove the filibuster, which is going to require one party of course, in control of the Senate with having a majority in the Senate. And they would also have to have the House and the White House. That's just an unlikely alignment of the stars to make that happen. I I thought that made a lot of sense on her part. Uh, Something else that's going on up there in Washington, we've touched on a bit the last few days, is we're running out of money again. One week from today, 
the federal government will shut down unless the a bill is passed that would fund the government. And once again, another funding bill goes down in flames in the House. I warned about this. This is Mike Johnson. Everybody thought he's the man. He can make all this stuff happen. And he's, he's basically punting. He's conceding. Yeah, we're going to have to come up with a continuing resolution, which was at the heart of Matt Gates's invocation of his right as a member of the House to uh, to remove the speaker. It was all about the funding mechanism and the funding process. Here we go again. Now the new one says, yep, we can't get it done. We, we're not seeing these 12 funding bills find it easy to get passed in the House, and we need more time. Don't think we're going to get it. Here we go again. Another kick the old can down the road, even with a new speaker. Change nothing. Change zero in that respect. And, again, that was at the heart of uh, the ouster of former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. When we come back here, it's time for a break. It's Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. We'll run it all down. Stay with us. We're at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. That's Mark, Don, and Mel, Grand Funk Railroad. We're an American band. That was about 1973, 1974, I believe, Rhino. We appreciate you joining us. Once again, we're at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum in the heart of Camp Shelby, just south of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We welcome to the program now, calling in Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. There you go. When you hear that sound, you know we got the news on the air. It's Alyssa Arbuckle. Well, it's been a rather eventful week, uh, shall we say, Alyssa. Tell us about the election results. Uh, uh, I think one race got called just yesterday, that the lagging race uh, uh, of all those that were contested on Tuesday. Give us the, the, the latest on that. Well, we had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of things going on. Um, we stayed up here for the entire election coverage, got out late. Um, really impressive um, results by Presley and Reeves, in my opinion. Um, as everybody knows, Reeves is reelected for another term. He's the incumbent governor. And uh, he ended up with a 51.5% um you know, gain of votes. He had over 400,000 votes, whereas Presley came up with 47.1% of votes, um, which was pretty close. Um, but uh, I think it was an impressive end result so far. Yeah. So uh, one of the races that uh, just got called yesterday mm-hmm. was for 
public service commissioner for the Central District, and that one was ultimately called by the AP for the challenger, DeKeither Stamps, taking on the incumbent Republican, Brent Bailey. Mm-hmm. That was pretty close, right? About 2,000 votes or so separated yeah. the candidates. What's the latest? So I saw um, an interview on WJTV, and I thought it was really interesting. Uh, DeKeither Stamps, he's a Democrat, um, he publicly invited the former uh, incumbent, Bailey, over to his house for a beer. Um, and I don't know if you saw this. Um, but uh, Bailey did not respond uh, very uh, excitedly to his request for the invitation. Um, he said uh, he wasn't quite sure about it uh, and that he was kind of disputing the claims of, you know, you said that I was a corrupt politician, uh, taking illegal briberies and donations, and it didn't exactly endear me to the impo- opponent right at this moment because there's no fact basis on that so uh not quite sure if they're gonna hang out afterwards but interesting yeah it was pretty interesting (laughs) (laughs) yeah so there's been some some feedback uh from mr presley he didn't just go away quietly having lost um the election on tuesday he uh just within the last 24 hours he he on twitter x now i guess although rhino says it's still twitter uh, a few things that a loss, this is what he says, Mr. Presley, a few things that a loss will never shut me up on. Number one, Medicaid expansion. Number two, ethics reform. Number three, restoring our right to vote through the ballot initiative. And number four, getting the sales tax off of groceries. I'm going to be worse than a thorn in the Apostle Paul's side on these issues. So he hasn't gone away. <laughs> He's not, and he has not denied the fact that um, he is has not ruled out uh, re-running in 2027. Um, I also thought it was interesting yesterday um, on the Gallo Show with Lucian, uh, we had Vicksburg Mayor George Flags on, and he said some interesting things about, you know, maybe, he, you know, he thinks that um, Presley would be a great head, a great... Uh, you know, chair of the Mississippi Democratic Party. And he said that's something that mm. he would be interested to see if it would happen, you know. Um, yeah. But we've had Shake Taylor. He was just he just started in July um, after Tyree Irving resigned, you know, that same month. So I'm not right. quite sure if they would have that quick of a turnaround. Um, but, you know, I thought it was interesting that, you know, George Flags is over here saying, you know, what if what if, you know, Presley hmm. ended up being the uh, face of Mississippi at least for the Democratic Party. Well, it could be, and I think he's got the, the personality and the, and the experience and the energy to serve in that role. Honestly, I think he would be effective in that role. I'm not so sure how much that would change the overall political landscape from the standpoint of who's serving in office and who gets elected. I kind of had him figured for a position somewhere in the uh, in the Biden administration. Of course, that would only endure for a year uh, plus a month um, if uh, Joe Biden, uh, unless Joe Biden is reelected. So mm-hmm. uh, I, that's kind of what I thought. But I, I don't think he just goes away. Um, I really don't. I think he stays around the political scene. He's been in it his whole life. Mm-hmm. He has. Um, he's been started, you know, in politics whenever he was right out of college, you know, mayor, you know, of his own hometown. So um, I think it's, 
it's it would be interesting if it did happen, in my opinion. And I that was something that I personally hadn't considered. Um, but after listening to what uh, George Flax had to say, you know, I was, you know, it, I'm, yeah. I don't know if Presley would start to consider it as well. I'm not, I'm not even sure if he's thought about that avenue. What about turnout? It uh, it appears that uh, this year's turnout, this cycle's turnout, is going to fall short of the turnout in 2019 by what? Right, oh, 40, 50,000 votes, I think, is what we calculated. I'm not sure if the, the final. I think it may be a little has, more than that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of disappointing. You know, we had Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman on and discussed it with him, and, and really no, nobody seems to have any answers. No, nobody can really put their, their finger on the reason for uh, the rather light turnout. It, it, well, certainly declining turnout. We thought 19 was a low turnout, and now we've uh, even exceeded that in terms of uh, dropping I thought it was interesting, I mean, that, you know, everybody's saying it was a low low turnout because we had a lot of, uh, you know, ballots that were, you know, missing, not missing necessarily, but uh, people ran out of ballots in a couple of places. Um, Before the election, I tried to go vote and I was, you know, walked in and they were saying that they were out of ballots and that you're going to have to wait two hours. And I was like, well, if it takes, you know, two hours, it takes two hours. You know, you have to vote. Um, And so to hear that, you know, there were a lot of, you know, ballots that were run out, but still a pretty low vote, voter turnout. You know, I, I thought that that was really interesting. Yeah, uh, it, it is. Uh, of course, there was a lot of buzz around that, keeping the, the some precincts open in Hines County a little later than the 7 o'clock ending time, and that was just because that there were lack of ballots at some precincts. Mm-hmm. A, a George, uh, pardon me, a judge ordered that those uh, those polling places stay open for at least another hour. Have you heard any any sort of buzz, any any discussion about uh, possible legal action in the wake of um, those few anomalies that occurred in in Hines County? I know that there were some appeals, and uh, you know there were there were a lot of speculation about who was going to do the lawsuit. Then it ended up, uh, you know, they said, okay, well, nine o'clock, like we'll keep it open until nine o'clock, and then it ended up being eight o'clock. And then everybody was really wondering, uh, mostly, was if you got in, you know, at seven o one. And, and nobody was sure if they were going to stay open until 8 o'clock. If you got in at 7.01, is your vote still going to count? You know, and there was a lot of confusion, a lot of speculation about, you know, how that was all going to go out. And just wasn't a lot of communication um, to figure out what the rules were going to be last second. Um, yeah. So for all the voters out there who weren't able to vote or weren't very, um, you know, inf- weren't informed and, and weren't very, uh, it wasn't very clear to them. I really feel for them because it's just it, it's it's hard. You know, you want to go out and vote, and then you you know if you go out there and it's seven oh one, you know you lost your chance. What if you know? Yeah. So I'm being told on the ceasefire text line the AP has not yet verified the results of they Stamps Bailey, but okay, but some somebody's called it. I heard this from two different sources yesterday that are reliable. I thought somebody called it at this point, so maybe I misunderstood that. It hasn't been officially called yet, but I know that okay. uh, WJTV, you know, at the end of their article, yep. they were talking about <clears throat> the invitation, but they said it is close to being called. You know, it's, it's a it okay. might be called soon. Okay. Well, ninety six percent of the of the uh, precincts in, I mm-hmm. think, or the votes counted, which it's been hovering at that number now for almost three days. I don't get it. How come that number? Do you have any idea why that ninety six percent isn't incrementing upward? Well, right now they have a difference of 3,259 votes. 
Um, so if yesterday it was 2,000, then it's increased by a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, and that's some, you know, headway, fortunately. So Something's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Alyssa, appreciate you coming on and giving us a rundown. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Thank you. Folks, we're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio down at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. We've got Lieutenant Colonel John Stringer, director of the Youth Challenge Academy, up next. He loves his wife, she's that wife that decorates on the 4th of July, but says every day is Independence Day. She's golden rule, teaches school, some folks say it isn't cool, but she Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're live at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. We thank you so much for joining us. And with us now, Lieutenant Colonel John Stringer, uh, Director of the Youth Challenge Academy, retired. Is that right? Yes. Retired. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. So uh, good to see you again, Lieutenant Colonel. I uh, appreciate you coming on uh, middays. Uh, talk to us about the Youth Challenge Academy. What exactly is that all about? Well, so, uh, and I've, I've been on at least once before. So, yeah. but I. One of the key things as as I move across the state that that we run into is you, you know I'm kind of shocked that you know we've been around since 1993 uh, about the people that don't know about the program. So okay. I need to kind of cover from even though we were on before, yeah, from the top to the bottom. So the, the mission of the Mississippi National Guard Youth Challenge Academy is to intervene in the lives of 16 to 18 year old at risk youth that's not necessarily been successful in a traditional high school environment. Uh, the at-risk term nowadays has gotten very, very broad. Uh, it may be a kid that just refuses to go to school, maybe a kid that goes and locks himself into his room and won't listen to mom or dad. It may be somebody's had minor trouble uh, with the law at some point or just someone that's dropped out, uh, has been dropped out for two or three years. Uh, some of the things that we offer there is we give everyone the ability to, to attempt to get their GED while they're there. It's a 22-and-a-half-week program, quasi-military. What that means is is we allow, we use a military structure while the kids are there uh, to get them through the 22-and-a-half weeks and to obtain their GED. Um, it's a very, very good program. Uh, we graduate anywhere from 360 to 400 kids a year. Um, while they're there, uh, like I said, they, they can get their GED. They can get an adult high school diploma, which is unique. Mississippi's one of the few programs in the nation that does that. Uh, they also can get up to uh, 
13 hours of college credits if they're one of the ones that passes the GED on the first time when they come in. Uh, Pearl River offers free or charge for all of our kids up to 13 credit hours. Uh, we have a trades program, which uh, carpentry, HVAC, and welding, they can get certification in trade. And they also get certified as OSHA 10, which helps as far as when they go out and seek jobs after the program. Hmm. Uh, additionally, we uh, do a uh, job fair at the end of the year. We work with uh, different companies, and we've been pretty effective at trying to get kids a, a living wage job after the program is over. Yeah. Uh, how many are actually participating, enrolled now uh, in the program? we got 175 kids that set to graduate on December 16th. Wow. Over at uh, Temple Baptist Church, they are hosting our graduation for us. To what extent, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, do you actually keep up with uh, the progress of the graduates once they go through the program? So the way the way it works, so we have a 22-and-a-half-week 22 residential phase, and then we have a 12-month post-residential phase. Okay. Uh, we have caseworkers that are assigned to each platoon. I have six to seven platoons each cycle. And each one of them has a caseworker that follows up with them as they leave the program to make sure that they're executing what they said they were going to do when they get out. So we do what we call a post-residential action plan. Uh, that kind of helps them kind of set their goals while they're in the program and then set some goals and milestones after they leave the program. So mm-hmm. say you graduate and you get out there and you're having a hard time you know, enrolling in the college, you said you were enrolled. You can reach back to those caseworkers, and they'll help work with you to to get into college. If if you're trying to find a job, uh, we do resume uh, while they're here. Uh, we do some mock interviews. We do a life fair, which is basically you know that that is tied into uh, the finance piece to help them manage finances. So we track them up to a year, and in the future, there's uh, movements to track them up to three years. Uh, we usually, a lot of times, after they finish the post-residential phase, they reach out to former cadre, and we kind of keep up with who's doing well uh, through the different uh, – the, the, when I say cadre, the, every platoon has – seven cadre which monitor their day-to-day life i see almost like a drill sergeant but not a drill sergeant so so where do these uh these instructors where do they come from are they members of the military former members so most of the cadre are former military active duty mississippi national guardsmen uh a lot of the some of the uh teachers that we have our academy are former uh mississippi national guard or active duty uh, non-commissioned officers, uh, or a lot of people that's involved in our program or our spouse or, you know, a relative of a, a guardsman. Okay, so you may have said it, but how long is the program? Lasts? So it's, it's 22 and a half weeks, okay. and uh, it usually the, the our next class starts January 13th and runs through uh, July, how does, June. Do you have to be referred to it? You apply? No, so we uh we have a website it's the the Mississippi National Guard Youth Challenge website uh there's a link on there to download and fill out the application and uh once the application's filled our recruiters move all over the state to the different National Guard armories and they will conduct an interview with that potential uh candidate 
Okay. And once that's done, uh, we basically, uh, you know, it's a matter of uh, making sure that they qualify or they meet the qualifications okay. to be in the program. Yeah. Do these uh, instructors, uh, the, the cadres, you call them, do they develop personal relationships with these students that probably endure beyond the program? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I will tell you, you know, like I said, they usually will reach out on social media, yeah. and I can find out how someone's doing. So recently we, we just had one of our former cadets from, I think it was about three cycles ago. So that's a year and a half ago. Uh, Actually, two years ago. He has since graduated the program. He got out. He went to Lincoln Tech, which is a, uh, a on-campus technical school up in Nashville. He got his finished up his welding certification. Uh, he got done with that, started working part-time as a welder, joined the Mississippi National Guard. So he's now a guardsman. And he just... Uh, entered as an incoming freshman at Mississippi State to pursue an engineering degree. Interesting. Well, that's the kind of success you want to hear. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. How long have you been involved in this? So I've been coming? here about three and a half years. So I spent about 26 and a half years in the military. Uh, and I can tell you the last three and a half years, this is more fulfilling than any mission I did while I was on active duty. Really? Absolutely, and and I can tell you the the employees down at the academy, uh, they're all dedicated to the mission, and uh, you don't see that very often, and it kind of insp- inspires me as well. Yeah, um, are all the the participants from Mississippi? Is that a requirement? So uh, the 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 first the the uh, the priority goes to folks from Mississippi. Okay. Uh, the national level has asked for us to. For the, the states that don't have programs, if we have space available, we allow them to come. Uh, so really, there's probably no one that attends my academy that doesn't have a tie back to Mississippi, okay. like a grandmother, yeah. uncle, aunt. Uh, but, yeah, it's primarily for the state of Mississippi. This sounds like such a great tool to, to help those who are just have issues that need to get back on the rail here why aren't other states doing this so we have there's 41 other programs from job challenges to youth challenge across the nation so this is a cooperative agreement it costs so the state of mississippi puts up front 25 percent of the cost for running this program and the federal government pays the other 75 percent is an awesome deal It's probably one of the best social programs that i've ran across in my 53 year old um, if Interesting. Years of being here. Is this? Um, are, are they taught uh, just discipline, social skills? What is so, what is the curriculum? Look so, like? besides the uh, the the things I talked about earlier, yeah. you know, we have core components. So we talk academic excellence, job skills, leadership, followership, uh, health and hygiene, life coping skills, physical fitness, responsible citizenship, and then we do forty hours of service to the community. Um, I will tell you, I tell the kids all the time, there's three things you'll learn while you're at the academy. One is to submit to authority, whether it's your parents, 
God, your employer. The second thing is to talk to someone in authority in the proper manner. Yeah. And the third thing is to get along with others, which is replicated in this military structure that we have here. Well, that uh, those principles will carry you far in life, I believe, and, and uh, pretty much assure success yes, as well. Sir. Lieutenant Colonel John Stringer, Director of the Youth Challenge Academy, has been our guest here on Middays. Once again, we're at the Armed Forces Museum. Appreciate you coming on, Lieutenant Colonel. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for your service, too, sir. We're stepping aside for a break right here. We're coming right back with more. Don't forget, we've got Adjutant General Jansen Boyles joining us at 12.05. Mark Smith, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Veterans Affairs at Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. feel like I need to stand up, start marching and saluting and stuff. Appreciate that, Rhino. We just we have great music, do we not? For our our armed forces branches, that of course the Navy theme, US Navy. My father served proudly in the United States Navy in World War Two. Actually he was in the Coast Guard. A helmsman on destroyers and cruisers over in the Pacific Theater during World War Two. Um, but we appreciate that, Rhino. Every, uh, Alex was just commenting earlier on uh, your selection of the patriotic tunes for our broadcast down here at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum, Camp Shelby. That's where we are. We appreciate uh, the uh, Lieutenant Colonel, retired Lieutenant Colonel John Stringer, for coming on and discussing the Youth Challenge Academy. He he shared with us, I don't think he'd mind us sharing it with our audience, that his work um with the youth challenge academy has been the most fulfilling aspect of his 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 career as a matter of fact he just he sees these troubled youths come into the academy and they turn their lives around through the program and send them on their way to become uh, productive members of society absolutely i i can see how that would be very gratifying and we appreciate the lieutenant colonel i bet He's just being around him and talking to him with his personality. I bet he's really good at that. I also bet that he don't put up with any stuff and that they are very respectful of him, which is the way it should be. Absolutely. So we appreciate that. Well, uh, Darren and Jackson, that's what we just did, right? The Navy thing, right? That's they play The Navy thing. Yeah, thank you. And let's see, you've played, uh, you've played Air Force already today or have you? Can't remember. I started off taking us to the first break with the Marine Corps hymn. Okay. And then entering the final segment of the first hour, we had the National Guard theme, Always, yes. always Ready, Always There. And yes. then entering the first break after the first segment of the second hour, we had the Air Force, Wild Blue Yonder. And then we just had Anchors Away for the Navy. 
And then taking us out of the ne- of the first segment of the next hour will be the Army song. And then into the second segment of the next hour, you'll have Semper Paratus, the Coast Guard song. And then taking us out of that one, we'll have the CB song. <laughs> You're all over it, my friend. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate that. And we should, in fact, honor members of our armed forces and veterans, as we shall do tomorrow on Veterans Day. Uh, we enjoy the many freedoms and benefits we have in this country, still the best on planet Earth because of their sacrifice and their service to our great country, and we are in their debt. We appreciate that. I want to apologize for my statement about the Public Service Commission, and I, I incorrectly said that the AP had called it. They have not, as has been pointed out by folks on our text line and Alyssa Arbuckle with our news department as well. And I'm trying to figure out where I heard this, but it was from two reputable sources. What did she say? Uh, Rhino WJTV uh, made some statements on it, and I guess it wasn't officially called, but they were apparently pretty close to doing so. What I can't figure out is how the number of votes counted has been sitting at 96%, yet the tally has been updated. How is that possible? Well, if they're counting absentee ballots, then they would be adding those to the total. But why aren't they incrementing the number of votes counted as they count absentee? Is it possible that we just don't know about? They're not including, like, the number of ballots sent out as the denominator, if you will, for absentee? Well, you got to remember the percentage there is an estimate by the AP. Okay. All right. Well, so I mean, the numbers which, they're dealing with with the absentees might not be big enough to move that percentage around in the uh, formula the AP is using to estimate. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it hasn't it hasn't moved substantially. I don't want to give that impression. You know, maybe 500 votes here or so. And when you're just presenting that as a whole number and nothing after the decimal point, you're probably right. It, it hasn't incremented it sufficient to to move um, the digits there on the the whole numbers on the left side of the decimal point that's absolutely probably the case uh i I, i'm just a little surprised that and i know they still have time right when's the last day we can count absentee votes what'd you say is it the 15th they will be counting until they are done or the calendar says november the 15th at 5 p.m until they're done and the way they know that is based on the number requested Correct. Right, and received by voters, because you have to request a ballot in Mississippi to vote absentee. But it's sitting at 96%. DeKeither stamps his tally, 138,87,130,887. That equals 50.6% of the total vote. Incumbent Republican Brent Bailey, 127,628, 49.4% of the vote. So... Uh, that's what roughly three thousand two hundred and forty-nine votes. If I'm doing that right, in my my head there. Uh, so I, I don't know how many are out where that could make a difference, but I guess the the AP thinks there's enough out there where if they all went for Bailey, it could change it. All right, folks, we're coming with you, coming at you with Fox News Super Talk News Adjutant General Boyles next. And now. And now. Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. 
now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of middays. The afternoon portion is back with you. We are live at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby, uh, just south of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, on this Friday, y'all. We welcome to the program now the Adjutant General of the Mississippi National Guard, my good friend, General Jansen Boyles. General, good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Gerard, thanks for always uh, highlighting what the National Guard can do and what we do. Appreciate you having me on this show. Yes, sir. And we, of yeah. course, thank you and, and all of our Guard uh, for their service to to our state and to our nation. I know yesterday I, I saw you guys out there at two Mississippi museums. And, uh, of course, this was ceremonies for Veterans Day, which is tomorrow when we honor those who wore our nation's uniform. Um, you had s- some remarks to deliver. What was your message yesterday? We, uh, Of course, we, we do it every year, and we do it to uh, – highlight the uh, contribution that our veterans have made over the years and we'll have uh, the band play the songs from all the services and we'll have the veterans stand up uh, yesterday we uh, honored uh, like we do every year uh, a fallen soldier uh, or in this yeah in this case a fallen soldier um, uh, general al hopkins and i know that that's a name that's familiar to a lot of people in mississippi he was a successful attorney and uh, i think he ran for public office yeah and uh, he also served in the National Guard and uh, attained the rank of general. And uh, we lost him recently uh, within the past year and just wanted to honor his service and uh, his family service. Norris, his son, was also a serviceman in the Air Guard, and uh, he retired here recently also. So just a great family and uh, just just a great tribute. Well, that's awesome, and we, and we certainly appreciate uh, his service and and um, we uh, extend our hearts and prayers to the family for his loss. But we, we appreciate you being on board. And I saw other dignitaries as well. I think Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, Correct. also in attendance as well as others. But uh, i got to tell you, when I hear the band, I get chill bumps, <laughs> honestly, when they're playing uh, the themes uh, from our, our armed forces, our branches, and and they're really good at it too. By the way, so I just want to let you know that. Thank you. They take a lot of pride in their work. Uh, they're they're actually a, a a large number, and about forty of them, and uh, they each sort of go out in teams of about five to ten. And uh, another another part of that band was playing at the Brandon yeah. uh, Veterans Day event that morning, but it was so it was two different teams. So got we've you. got we've got some very talented museums who serve in the guard. We certainly do. Yeah. All right. So uh, are you busy? I'm assuming with Veterans Day, you've got you've got uh, some more on your schedule there. We are. It's always an opportunity to tell our story, um, and so we have a lot of colonels and uh, generals and. Um, in, enlisted leaders who are out speaking this weekend to different groups. I know that uh, Major General Trent Kelly is covering a couple of groups in northeast Mississippi. The uh, congressman, yeah. A, um, uh, we had the commander of Camp Shelby was speaking to a group here at lunch. So we've got we got a lot of folks out talking this weekend, just telling our story. I got you. Let's talk about uh, Camp Shelby. How, how critical is that to uh, uh, just defense of our nation and, and other services that uh, the Guard provides to communities? Uh Doing well. We're a training center for the region. We're not just a training center for Mississippi. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you take for granted uh, what we have here in Mississippi. We're one of five states 
that actually has tanks and a mm. formation that deals with the heavy artillery and the heavy tanks. And so because of that, uh, Camp Shelby is a big service center for states that have tanks. And so North Carolina, Tennessee, sometimes Minnesota, Mississippi, all come here and have uh, have their train do their training, and then we also service their equipment. Yeah. Um, because of that, we also help with uh, foreign military sales, and we actually uh, help uh, train and maintain tanks for other countries also. Yeah, so it's a good, it's a pretty neat thing. And then the and then the training that we do here, people come here and and train in all sorts of um, uh, disciplines, uh, logistics, engineering. Hmm. Um, Aviation, uh, even the Air Force comes in here and trains and um, and does does a lot of maneuvers with the Air Force piece, supporting ground troops a lot of times. We call that exercise Southern Strike, which we do in the spring. Mm-hmm. So a lot a lot happens here. We we also, if you notice, coming in the front gate, we're in the middle of building a, a facility for the reserves. And so not only do we service mm-hmm. the National Guard, we service the active duty and reserves. They're about to have a big footprint here. Mm-hmm. Also, so just a lot going on at Camp Shelby. The um, there's some hot spots, of course, uh, around the world. There always are, but uh, in particular, focused, uh, of course, the situation in Ukraine, the situation in, in Gaza. D- does that figure into anything with respect to our National Guard here? Is is there in any kind of elevation of being ready, or any other exercises you're involved in, any communication, just anything that you have to take action on, General? I, you know, draw a great question. I don't think we do anything different here stateside um, to prepare for our usual missions. Okay. However, when they when our number gets called, uh, we go through. Uh, a, a plus-up training that prepares us for whatever scenario we're going into. Okay. Uh, we will do that at uh, Fort Bliss in El Paso or Fort, um, I think, Camasas now. Yeah, been Hood, renamed, yep. Uh, in uh, Texas. And then we, we train up there, do some, some last knocking the dust off some things, and then go deploy forward. The other side of that coin is that right now we have about 1,600 men and women deployed overseas. That's a high water mark wow. for us right now. Um, we usually have about 400 deployed overseas, so that's a that's a big deal for us. And okay. It includes um, our aviation brigade, our engineer brigade, and then our infantry battalion out of Macomb, Mississippi. They're all deployed forward along with some other units. Of course, we have uh, we have Air National Guard as well. Mm-hmm. Um, outposts in the state, certainly there at the airport, municipal airport or international airport now right. in Jackson, we can't help but see the big uh, the big tankers or freighters, whatever those big old cargo airplanes are flying around overhead in central Mississippi. To to what extent, uh, General, uh, do you do you integrate with them? Yeah, great. Work great with them? Another great question. So the refuelers in Meridian and the cargo planes, the okay. C-17s in in uh, Jackson. Okay. They they're really both dialed into the active duty force every day, hmm. uh, so uh, they could be doing stuff domestically. Our refuelers do a lot of uh, missions over training areas where pilots can plug in and train on how to refuel. We do a lot of that support. Our refuelers also go overseas and do support a lot in the Europe, a lot in the Pacific uh, areas. Uh, the C-17s are handling cargo. Uh, we'll usually have um, two on call at any one time. Uh, out of nine that are out there, okay. they're all busy. Yeah, there are usually about two that will go internationally hmm. and uh, be available for the active component to 
transport material overseas if they have to. Wow. Interesting. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, okay. I got you. Yeah. Um, what's what's on the horizon? Any, anything that you're working on? Any particular projects uh, for the National Guard? Well, um, I'll, highlight, I'll highlight a couple. Okay. So um, the, the legislature was very generous to us this year. Uh, we we are uh, pursuing a new piece of equipment over in Meridian. We currently have this uh, KC-135, and we'd like to compete for the KC-46. And the Mississippi legislature uh, wrote us a check in order to put a facility there that will make us very competitive. Uh, we're increasing the size of the hangar there. We're also adding some uh, bed-down space for pilots to be there for a 24-hour period. So that's... That's been very helpful, and we really appreciate the leg- legislature investing in that facility. Uh, we are optimistic that we will be very competitive for that, and that decision will be made uh, in the next year, 2024. Would that uh, also involve uh, additional personnel? It would. Uh, great question. So we would plus up about 30 to 40 personnel in the on the guard side, but that particular piece of equipment brings in about 100 active duty personnel wow. uh, into the Meridian area. So it's really, it would be a shot in the arm yeah. militarily for that area. So when you talk about sort of competing, are we competing with other states in that regard? We are. Other so, facilities? Yeah. So they're giving out two um, uh, KC-46s to the Guard, two wings to the Guard uh, next year. Okay. And so we're competing for one of those two. And... Um, so we'll see. There are probably about twelve facilities that are gunning for it. Okay. Though. So it's it's a um, it's a good comp, it's a good competitive uh, situation. Uh, the museum here. We got yeah. just about thirty seconds left or so. Okay. It's fantastic, isn't it? It is. You know, I I tell people it's a it's it's truly a jewel in Mississippi. Everybody should come through here and see it. I know Tommy's doing a lot more with schools and getting them in here from across at least the southern part of Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, but these the individual stories that are in here that people need to see. It's incredible. It really is. Uh, we should be proud of Mississippi and its rich history uh, with respect to defense of our nation and serving our nation. Incredible. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. Uh, General Boyles, Adjutant General Jansen Boyles uh, with the Mississippi National Guard has been our guest here on Middays. We're in the Element Well studio down at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. Mark Smith, Executive Director of the Mississippi Veterans Affairs, will join us in the segment after the next. Please stay with us. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. back everyone middays live from the mississippi armed forces museum at camp shelby 
we strongly encourage you to get it on your schedule. It needs to be on your bucket list to tour the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. It is exceptional. You will not be disappointed, and you'll learn a whole bunch about Mississippi's rich history in uh, service to our nation. Uh, We appreciate you joining us. Uh, We talked earlier about the possibility of a government shutdown. Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, uh, I guess the honeymoon is over, as you may say. He is uh, experiencing the same old dysfunction that uh, was experienced in the House before Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy was removed yesterday bills that would fund the judiciary branch the treasury department in the irs yesterday the house plowed through a debate on more than 100 amendments 100 amendments we're just trying to get the minimum a responsible a reasonable amount of money to fund these departments a hundred amendments, including <laughs> this is Republicans, in my view, playing the same game that the Democrats do. It's the same game that we all get upset about when we get these omnibus bills or these continuing resolutions where they shove stuff in there that really just is just um, favors, if you will, earmarks and favors or appeasing lobbyists. It has nothing to do with with the funding mechanism. But much of the consternation centered around language that blocks a District of Columbia law, a D.C. law, that presently prevents employers from discriminating against workers who seek contraception or family planning services. So this is something I think that was enacted in 2015. This was prior to Trump. And there's some lawmakers that, have problems and want to to block this present law and uh, that is favored by Democrats. And, and somehow that's gotten tied up and inserted in a bill that funds the IRS. That's crazy. And it, apparently it's being reported that Speaker of the House Johnson is a bit frustrated uh, with the whole situation, I, I, I think the expectation was he'd step into the speaker's chair, control the gavel, and folks would fall in line, and we would deliberate these bills, and we we would come out the other side with the 12 bills to fund the discretionary portion of government in accordance with regular order, as opposed to these catch-all Continuing resolutions or omnibus bills where there's really little to no deliberation on single subjects uh, with respect to funding. So here we are again. Um, I warned about this that I, I, I expectations I think were set so high by the people that were celebrating the removal of McCarthy and the the um, the voting to place Mr. Johnson at the chamber's head and nothing's changed Uh, but it's to be expected because you're literally trying to herd cats that's what you're trying to do here you not only got to deal with the opposition party but you got to deal with lack of consensus in your own party just makes it really really difficult 
But we'll see what happens. We're a week away from the old government shutting down. If we don't get something done, the speaker's already pretty much indicated that, yeah, we're going to have to have the old continuing resolution again to keep the government afloat while um, they, they work on these 12 independent spending bills. See where all that goes at this point. The uh, situation with the presidential candidates we were talking about, kind of where they stand on on tax policy, which I think is just interesting to take a look at. And, you know, many of them have basically said little to no change. Many of the Republicans have come down in that respect. It really, the candidate that wants to do the most with respect to changing our tax structure is Joe Biden, the guy in office. I mean, and he, he made it clear these were his plans before he was elected, and he, and he still supports these various proposals. I'm going to start with Donald Trump. Here's kind of what he's saying about taxes. Across the issues of business taxes, capital gains and dividends taxes, credits, deductions, and exemptions, estate and wealth taxes, excise taxes, individual income taxes, payroll taxes, tariffs and trade, and other, he really doesn't want to do anything, except he does propose to lower the corporate rate. He does propose to take it from the present 21% to 15 Remember, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act lowered it from 35 to 21 He wants to take it down to 15 That's what they wanted originally but couldn't get it through. I would be all over that. I would wholeheartedly support that. He also wants to tax large private university endowments. That's interesting. I think a lot of folks are frustrated with these uh, private universities receiving money from the federal government and then essentially operating against the federal government or really against the country is i think in in the the soul of america uh, anti-american is what they are he did just recently announce a significant tax hike in the form of tariffs he wants a 10% tariff on basically everything that uh, the country imports this this would in, this would significantly raise the cost of what you buy we import a lot that we consume from other nations because they produce it on a much cheaper basis than we do american consumers would get hit uh, by about a 500 billion dollar a year bill if that were to occur now the theory is that would uh, serve as the catalyst for production of more goods in this country, expansion of that, and take it away from other countries. And we learned during the pandemic just how we are reliant on other countries, in particular China, such as for antibiotics. That was kind of scary. We learned that most of that is produced in China. That's because of a wave of of offshoring uh, much of these commodity products that are produced. It's been going on for decades. It's just lower costs. Their labor is just considerably lower. So that's uh, that's part of Mr. Trump's plan as well. Everything else, really, no tax policies proposed. It it's um, 
it's Joe Biden, man. Good grief. The stuff that he wants to do, and you guys know a lot about that already, of course, but he wants to um, wants to tax wealth. He wants to increase the corporate rate from twenty eight to from twenty one to twenty eight. So think about the the distinction there. Trump wants to go from twenty one to fifteen. He wants to go from twenty one to twenty eight. It's never enough, of course. He wants to tax capital gains and dividends at um, at ordinary rates for those whose income is above a million. He wants to tax unrealized capital gains at death above five million. He wants to tax carried interest as ordinary income. He wants to impose a minimum effective tax rate of 20%. Uh, Just a series of stuff. He wants to increase the child tax credit, which is essentially just welfare, increase the child, uh, and make it fully refundable, I should say. Wants to increase the earned income tax credit, which is absolutely fraught with fraud to the tune of about $8 billion a year. He wants to expand premium tax credits. We're talking about the um, Affordable Care Act, so-called Obamacare exchanges. He wants to make that permanent. We've discussed that before. That's presently in place. It's temporary through 25. He wants to increase and tighten the rules on on wealth taxes and estate taxes, increase the stock buybacks tax, Increase the net investment income tax and Medicare tax to reach 5%, 5% on income above 400000 I've also seen some suggestions by Nikki Haley on how to handle Social Security and Medicare. She wants to increase the age, but she also wants to means test benefits, which is consistent with what the Democrats are proposing, and increase the taxes on higher incomes. We're going to increase your taxes, but you're not going to get anything out. That's just redistribution, and I completely and totally oppose that. They want the, the more affluent, higher income people to fund the retirement and health care for the lower income. That's already what's happening. They want more of that which is just crazy. We're coming right back with Mark Smith, the executive director of the Mississippi Veterans Affairs. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's middays we are live at the mississippi armed forces museum tomorrow is a veterans day and i failed to mention rhino that today is the birthday of the united states marine corps that's correct yeah november the 10th how about that the day before veterans day this year that's pretty cool we welcome to the program now mark smith executive director of mississippi veterans affairs uh mark good to have you on the program Hey, thank you. It's an honor to be here today. 
talk about our great veterans and the service they've contributed to our state and our country. Absolutely. Uh, first, how about this museum? You, you've made a tour of it? I have. Um, I was actually in the Mississippi National Guard okay. when it was built, and, and uh, I've toured it many times. It's really awesome. It's incredible. It, it is. I've yeah. been to all over the world to museums, and this one ranks right up at the top of anyone in the world. Absolutely. World class. And it's truly fitting, is it not, that um, that we showcase, that we honor, that we preserve the memory and the history of, of so many who served in the armed forces from right here in Mississippi? Yes, it is. Um, and that's what's great about the, the position that I hold with the state, uh, with the veterans' homes. I get to uh, talk to our veterans on a daily basis at the homes and hear their stories and Last Monday, we had a 103-year-old veteran in our Collins home, Mr. Turner, uh, who actually spent the night on Normandy Beach uh, to hear his stories. It's just one of the very awesome, uh, one of the most awesome things that you can do in life. And he was actually here earlier this week at the um, celebration that we had here at Camp Shelby on Wednesday. Wow, that is incredible. 103 years old, spent the night on Normandy. Yes. There can't be many left. There's right? not. And he's such a humble man, and and he, he's really um, an inspiration to all of us that, you know, even as hard as things can get in life, uh, you can make it better if you, if you put forth the effort. Well, I don't know that there's too many of us out there that have ever experienced anything as difficult as that situation was. That honestly. is correct. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, so talk about... The uh, Mississippi Veterans Affairs, the services that uh, your organization provides to our veterans. Yes, I'd be glad to. We support approximately 182,000 veterans, uh, and we also support their families and their caregivers because the families and the caregivers have also sacrificed a lot of things throughout the careers of these veterans to make sure that um, that they can do their job with a clear mind and not worry about things back home and take care of things. Mm-hmm. We have a seven-member board that's appointed by the governor, a great board that supports us very well, very involved in everything that we do. We have four homes. We have a home in Oxford. We have a home in Kosciuszko. We have a home in Jackson, and we have a home in Collins. Each one of these homes houses 150 veterans or up to 150 veterans. We're currently building a new home in Tradition, which is a new state-of-the-art facility that's a 100-bed, single-occupancy facility. Uh, two of the biggest complaints that I hear when I go to the homes is uh, they don't like sleeping in a room with somebody because of somebody snoring or something like that and food. But th- those of us who are in the military, you're always going to complain about the food. <laughs> but um, but hopefully uh, that, that home will be online this, uh, next summer, yeah, and we'll be able to start taking residents to, to fill that facility up too. The, the VA has authorized us 700 bed spaces, technically, in the, in the state. And this new 100-bed facility will bring us to 100. Now, is that in the tradition development on the Gulf Coast there? Is that what we're talking yes, about? Yes, yeah. yes. If you go down Highway 67, yeah. once you get to the big tradition sign, if you're headed south, uh, instead of taking a right towards the tradition sign, just take a left and go around the loop. And it's currently under construction. Yeah, there. really nice area. Sprouted up quite a bit the last several years. It is. Yeah, really nice. Um, so, what'd you say? One hundred and eighty-two thousand. Yes. Veterans. So, are they automatically registered and I guess tendered to the Veterans Affairs uh, once they 
um, they're discharged. Is that how that works, or do they have to register uh, to sort of show their membership? Yeah, once they retire, once they get out of the military or okay. retire okay. Uh, to be classified as a veteran, you have to have served on active duty. Okay. And you, had, you get a 214. Uh, one of the things that we've done in the last 24 months is work with the VA hospitals. Uh, we have uh, some of our staff, some veteran benefit specialists at the, our, at the hospital in Memphis and Jackson, and we have two on the coast that help veterans in Mississippi navigate the hospital situation. Okay. And we, we've had a big push to get people to register for um, with the hospitals because just because you don't need it now – uh, because you have good health insurance or whatever does not mean that your life situation is not going to change tomorrow and you will need that health care at the at the VA. So sure. You don't have to use it, but we really try to get you in the system to make sure that if the need ever arises that uh, you are registered to do that. So it, it, does the funding source from both the federal government and the state? Is that is that how that works? For the homes, um, it's a federal funding source. We get a per diem for every resident. Okay. And we get a set per diem if you're, it's based on your disability rating, if you have one. So if you have a less than 70% disability rating, they pay us $138 a day. And then that veteran and their family have a $65 a day copay. If you're more than 70%, 70 to 100%, then we, we get a substantial amount of money more because the Veterans Administration considers you to be disabled at that time. I see. So the difference is instead of them paying us $138 a day, if you're less than 70%, in Jackson they pay us $494 a day for a resident if they're 70% or greater disabled. I see. Um, the, the records, your organization also maintains uh, lots of uh, records, right, about our veterans, military records and so forth. Does that does that get sent to you? Is that maintained by the branches of the service, or how does that work? Well, it's really kind of a difficult situation because when a, when a service member decides to, say, get out of the military, yeah, they complete all the documentation they need for their 214, which is a very important document for the remainder of their life and for their families. And there's a block on there that you have to check to whether or not you want the, the gaining state. Say if a, a member was at Fort Polk, Louisiana, and he was coming back to Mississippi, there's a block they have to check on that form to whether or not they want to share that information with Mississippi. And it's kind of I kind of attribute it uh, like if you go to Germany on vacation, you don't check in with the U.S. Embassy there. So if a service member gets out at Fort Polk, Louisiana, they don't necessarily come and check in with us to let us know that they're in the state to do that. Gotcha. So the, the numbers that we have that we support come from that information from all over the world when a member gets out of the military or retires. I got you. Uh, what about uh, the, the Veterans Day coming up tomorrow? What kind of uh, events or activities do you have planned for that? All of our homes uh, have had activities all week. Um, we have other things going on. Uh, we we supported the uh, event at the two Mississippi museums. Yeah. Um, Sergeant Major Tatum, who's also on our board, was a guest speaker there yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have anything planned at the homes for tomorrow, uh, but um, we will go. Some of us will go there and spend the day with the veterans and to make sure that somebody's with them on Veterans Day. Yeah. But they've well, already had their ceremonies at the at the homes during the week. Um, and different guest speakers come and talk. General Boyles has talked and, and uh, several other 
dignitaries throughout the state will come and talk. Yeah. You know what? That's one of the things I've heard uh, is is that so many of these veterans that are in those homes, they don't have any family, and they're, they're, it's, it's lonely for them. I have a good friend. You may know him, Walter Herbison, that uh, is involved in, in just entertaining the vets. He's been doing it for years. And uh, I've supported his work somewhat, but he's always told me the story of, of how sad sometimes it is and just him coming in and singing some songs, doing a little preaching and a little entertainment just uh, brings a smile to their faces. It does. Uh, unfortunately, some of them don't have any families. There's there's a gentleman uh, in our Collins home that he has no family at all, and he's not from here. He just, just circumstances have him here. So we try to, when I go to the homes, I try to single those individuals out, and I go visit with them and stay with them, talk to them. Um, my wife goes with me to the homes on occasions, um, and vi- she visits with them also. And so we try to make sure that we identify who those residents are so we can make sure that somebody spends time with them. We have a great support. Uh, one of our greatest supporters is Friends of Mississippi Veterans. They hold a golf tournament and a skeet shoot every year. They buy gifts for the veterans. They do birthday cards that we get the staff to sign and give them a birthday card. And uh, there's just numerous other eight entities out there, Elks Clubs, VFWs, all kind of entities that support us and come and visit. And we invite people to come and visit because our our resident, we call them residents, um, really love the interaction. Yeah, sure. Mark, appreciate you coming on, and, and thank you so much for uh, the organizations of service to our veterans. It's important, and we appreciate it. Thank yes, you, sir. You're yep. welcome. Thanks for having us. We're stepping aside for a break right now. We've got the final segment of Middays coming up next. We're at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio today at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. Tomorrow, Veterans Day, be sure you thank those who wore our country's uniform for their service to our nation. We certainly do appreciate it, and we should reflect on the fact that the many freedoms and privileges and rights that we enjoy here in these United States are largely due to their sacrifice and service, and we are certainly grateful for that. Let's see on the ceasefire text line. Do you think our rebels can pull it off tomorrow, says Larry and Mize? I'm optimistic. He says he is, too. The best way to incentivize domestic production is to roll back regulations on the ceasefire text line. I agree. Um, certainly when Trump took office, he, he was pretty good about reversing uh, some of the regulations that were enacted during the Obama administration, it, it, mainly on the oil and gas industry. And we saw the oil and gas industry flourish and the price of gas 
declined. The economy was honking along, and inflation wasn't even a thing. Unfortunately, the COVID stuff hit, and even under Republican control, about $6.5 trillion was dumped on the money supply, and and you can't ignore that that is playing a, a large role in the inflation we're all enduring today. The markets turned negative yesterday because Powell, Jay Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, basically said we're still of the same mind that we're going to monitor inflation and we still have a 2% target, which I think is unreasonable. And if we have to raise rates to get to that, produce that 2% annualized inflation, we will not hesitate to do so. And the markets didn't like that. Today the markets are a little bit, a little bit calmer and checked it lately, uh, Rhino. Looks like that, uh, oh, wow, we got a rally going on. And not sure what the news is driving that. But we got, uh, let's see, the Dow up 176, the NASDAQ up uh, 171. I'm not sure if this is because of some good news that came out or if it's just um, the auction of T-bills. So when the federal government goes and sells debt, investors – in an open market, the yields are determined based on what investors are willing to pay for those securities with the various maturities. And when those yields increase, that's not good for the market. That just means investors expect more inflation. And when those yields pull back, that means investors feel rosier about the future inflation picture. That's good for equities because the profit produced by or future profit in the stock market is just a, a, a discounted cash flow view of the future, honestly, future earnings. And those earnings are worth less in an inflationary environment because the dollar's worth less. So all that's, those are the dynamics basically driving, I think, this big rally on Wall Street. I'm glad to see it uh, for one. Maybe this rhino is kind of the start of the so-called Santa Claus rally. It's just volatile. The old kangaroo hops around, as you like to say. I've also heard some Republican presidential candidates say that, hey, the, the way to address our, our $95 trillion unfunded liability problem that besets Social Security and Medicare is to grow the economy. It's really not accurate uh, because that's a totally separate fund. If you're talking about just producing more revenue to <clears throat> possibly reduce the deficit, yeah, that that's um, a plausible theory and concept there, no doubt, uh, because a, a growing economy means that corporations and individuals are uh, earning more income and therefore they're paying more taxes, and, and, and that is considered as a, a method to uh, reduce the deficit, uh, even with spending. The problem is that the mandatory aspect of spending is on uh, uh, autopilot as we have explained so many times but just growing the economy unfortunately unless wages increase substantially while inflation is not that has to be the scenario that could in fact have a positive impact on social security and medicare because more money be coming in but if we also have commensurate inflation in other words in, in inflation is occurring at the same time that we're raising wages, and all the wages are doing is either keeping up, lagging, as has been the case since Biden has been in office, or maybe exceeding inflation. That could be productive. But 
keep this in mind. The cost of Medicare, Medicaid, they go up with inflation. Social Security sees adjustments, uh, cost of living adjustments because of inflation. So these presidential candidates are not honest, being honest about that. They're not being factual, I should say. I don't know if I'd say it's being dishonest. I just don't think they're really thinking through that in a complete matter. We'll talk more about that next week because that's going to become more in focus. And we'll hit on PERS more as well because that problem ain't going away either. I hope you've read the article and and you enjoyed it and learned a little bit from it. Let me know what you think, as Ben did earlier in the broadcast. We're out of time here today. We have enjoyed being at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum, truly a tremendous asset for the state of Mississippi and a great honor to all those Mississippians who wore the nation's uniform. Back with you on Monday. Have a good weekend. Stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.